0: Hello and welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. This life can put a lot of demands on us to perform and succeed in business, education, athletics, and even at home. Have you ever wondered, though, what God's definition of success is? What does He want from you? The answer to these questions could be slightly different for each one of us, but there are some foundational elements that are the same for everyone. In our new series, Becoming God's Best for You, we'll explore what it is that God really wants for us individually and how you can become the best version of you as God desires. We believe He wants to speak to you today, so sit back and join us for the next few minutes. It's Day 3 Live and it starts right now.
1: Good morning. morning. Take your Bible and turn to uh, John's Gospel, uh, chapter 14. And uh, one verse, verse 15, will kind of be the main focus today. We'll bring some other verses into it. Uh, We're in this series, we've title, Becoming God's Best for You. I wanted to maybe unpack that just a a little bit. And, And the reason we said God's best for you is that God maybe has a different calling upon your life than my life. But the things we're talking about in this series... There are common denominators that every Christian needs to understand and that we need to practice in our lives if we're really going to seek God's best, if we're going to seek God's will for our individual lives and for our life as a church corporately. We started out this series talking about the importance of believing God's Word, studying God's Word, applying God's Word to your life, because if you don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, uh, then everything else we're going to talk about won't really matter. It will not bring forth God's best for you if you don't believe the Bible to begin with. Then we moved from that to talk about salvation. We spent some time in Romans 3, uh, and there in Romans 3, we were talking about who we are, uh, and we're all sinners. We can't save ourselves. We're all lost. But we also talked about trust in what Christ has done for us because He fully paid for our sins on the cross, and we have to trust in Him. Last week we talked about prayer. Just as it is important for us to read God's Word and allow God to speak to us, it's also important for us to pray to God and communicate with Him. God desires that type of relationship with you. He wants you to communicate with Him. Today we're going to take what I think is a a next logical step. It's one of these common denominator things that every believer uh, needs to be aware of, and we need to practice if we're going to experience God's best uh, for our lives. And that is this. We're going to talk about obedience. Obedience. Because God's best for your life also involves obeying the words of Jesus. Obeying the words of of Jesus. Look at the scripture text this morning that we're going to uh, be focusing upon. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? A little short verse, but it's really, really straightforward. Guys, think about it like this. I don't think Jesus gave commands just to be wasting his breath. Do you? (laughs) I think if Jesus says something as a command, he expects us to do it. Not just know about it, not just talk about it, but he expects us to actually practice it and and do it. Now, I want to be sure you understand the context up front. I'm not talking about obedience today as though you obeying God is a pathway To salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. We cannot be saved by good works. But every believer, all of us, should obey the words of Jesus after we're saved. Amen. We ought to do so not in order to be saved, but it's your appreciation for Him, to honor Him because of what He was willing to do for us uh, on the cross and so much else that He's done for us. Because He saved us, we ought to obey the words of, of Christ. I know our graduates are kind of spread back out uh, a little bit right now, sitting right here at the the front. Uh, Probably a good thing because it would make them feel like he's talking right to me uh, right now. So I'm not. I'm talking to all of us. But our graduates, they're setting out on new avenues in their life. They're they're moving forward in their life in new directions. And, And as they do so, they need to recognize this. They need to be focused upon obeying the words of Jesus. We've got a world that screams obey culture. We've got a world that screams, you know, do what everybody else is doing to have fun. But if you really want to move forward in your life with God's best in your life, then you need to pay attention to the words of Jesus. You need to apply the word of God to your life and be obedient to what God tells us. So, today, as we are talking about God's best for our lives through obeying the words of Jesus, I want you to notice two main applications that we can make from this one verse in John 14, verse 15. Here's the first application. God's best for you is motivated or should be motivated by loving Jesus. God's best for you is motivated by loving Jesus. Look at the first part of verse 15. If you love me. If you really want God's best, you ought to be motivated toward God's best. You ought to be loving Jesus and allow that to move you toward God's best. Now, I know there's just, you know, four simple words there, but those four words to begin with, it establishes a condition. Jesus said, if, uh, the word that he uses there it is really indicating uncertainty. It's like Jesus is saying, if you really, really love me, this is what you ought to do. And we'll talk about the rest of that through the message. It's a statement of conditionality. Uh, Maybe we ought to ask ourselves, and you ought to ask yourself this morning, do I really love Jesus? And if you were to respond really quick and say, yes, I know that I love Jesus, then maybe you need to ask yourself another question. Are you allowing your love for Jesus to motivate you toward God's best for your life? Are you allowing the love that you have for him to move you in the direction of what God's will is for your life? It's also something personal because Jesus said, if you love me. It's a personal concern. A lot of times we just get worried about what everybody else is doing. Well, the question here is not, does somebody else love Jesus? The question is, do you love Jesus? And if you do really love him, are you allowing that to push your life in the way God would have you to go? Or are you allowing the, the love that you have for him? You see, you're the only one that can fully answer that question, whether or not you really, really love Jesus. And you're the one that's supposed to allow your love for Jesus to motivate you to move you toward God's best. Maybe another question we need to ask ourselves, does the love that we have for Jesus, does the love that you have for Jesus motivate you toward God's best in your life? Or maybe you're being more motivated by worldly things or more motivated by the conventional wisdom of the day or more motivated toward the culture of the day. But it's something very personal we need to answer. Do we love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? If so, there's something for us to do that we're going to see in a moment. As he talks about love, he said, if you love me, I think the kind of love he's talking about is the love where we have affection that has action attached to it, that we have affection with action. The word that he used there in the original language means to love in a social sense. It means a love in a moral sense. The root word it's built from means to breathe after as though you're really, really passionate about something. So maybe we ought to ask ourselves this morning, do, do I love Jesus in a social sense? I mean, if so am I spending time with him? Am I reading the Bible? Am I talking to him in prayer? Do I love him in a social sense? Or do I love him in a way that affects my social life in the way I live? Do Do I love Jesus in a way that affects my morality, my moral sense, the way I live my life? Because that's also what the word love means here. And then it talks about passion. You know, do you really love Jesus to the degree that you're like breathing after him? You're very passionate for him. And if we're really, really passionate about somebody, it kind of shows up, doesn't it, in our actions. I mean, think about that just in our own relationships. Some of you have been around here a while. You've heard me say this before, but when Becky and I were dating in high school, uh, if I knew between the little break from one class to the next class, I could run and meet her and hand her a note. Then I'm spending time writing a note when I should have listened to the teacher. But I'm writing a note because I know in the break I I can run somewhere close by to her and just speak to her and hand her that. And I was running across the campus at Wilkes-Central High School, sometimes jumping over bushes and things. This is no lie. The track coach came up to me in the lunchroom and said, Will you come try out for the track team?" And guys, I was just, I, I was being like that. I was, I was breathing hard after her because I was passionate. We, we ought to be that way with Jesus. The love that we have for Jesus ought to affect our actions. We ought to be passionate toward him. And guys, love that only involves words falls short of that. You, you can tell someone a million times, I love you, but then if your actions don't indicate you love them, there's a problem there. Our, our love for, for Jesus should be proven to him and others as we practice our love for him, as we obey him, as we carry out the actions that he's given us. There's also a direction this mentioned here. Jesus said, if you love me, talking about he himself. That gives us a focal point. That gives us the direction of our love, the object of our love ought, ought to be Jesus. Jesus is speaking and he's going on to talk about some specific evidence that we can give in loving him. But here he said, if you, if you love me, he, he's asking for us to give him evidence, to show evidence that we really love him. Our supreme love as Christians ought to be toward Jesus and us demonstrate that by obeying him. The, the background to, to this, I'll say something about it now something about it near the end of the message but in in john 14 uh, jesus had already told his disciples he was getting ready to go away and they had walked with him for three years in his public ministry they had seen the miracles they had heard the teaching they had seen his compassion and his love toward others now jesus is going to be going to the cross he's going to be buried He's going to raise from the dead and eventually ascend. So really what Jesus is doing, I think more or less, is this. He's preparing the disciples for life without him right there. He's preparing them for the way they ought to live their lives after he has gone. And he's talking to them here about obedience. Our our love for Jesus, our love in his direction, must also be demonstrated by not just our words, but by our obedience to him. Which brings us to the second application. First application is simply this. God's best for our lives ought to be motivated by loving Christ. But secondly, God's best for our lives should be manifested by obeying Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you love me, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to manifest the love that you have for me. If you love me, keep my commandments. Commandments. I've already kind of rubbed shoulders with, that, with this a minute ago, but because obedience displays affection. Obedience displays affection. Jesus said, keep my. The phrase that he uses there means to guard from loss or injury. It means to keep your eye upon. So Jesus is telling his disciples here, and it's still for us to apply to our lives also, that we're to keep our eyes upon his commandments. We're, we're to guard the commandments that Jesus gives us from loss. In other words, we should not allow his word to enter in one ear and go out the other. (laughs) We we need to pay attention to what Jesus says, to his commands, and we need to apply them to our lives. We need to, to manifest or demonstrate the love that we have for Christ by guarding his words from loss. By being sure we are paying attention to his words. We're guarding his words. They're that important to us. We're to guard or defend the words of Jesus so his words will not suffer injury due to our disobedience. It doesn't matter how many times you say you're a Christian, but if you go out and live your life out in the world, opposite from what Christ wants you to as a Christian, what you're displaying is this. You're displaying dishonor toward the commands of Jesus, toward the words of Jesus. It's like you're dishonoring him to his his face almost, but you're also kind of Dis- dishonoring him before others you're, you're causing injury to his word because you're not applying his word to your life the phrase you meant to keep your eye upon the words of Jesus see our, our obedience to Jesus guys displays affection for him both to him and for others around us our obedience to him really is what displays affection that shows our affection is real Let me illustrate that in some human forms for a minute. A child may say, Mom and Daddy, I love you. And never do anything you tell them to do. Go clean your room. The next time you look in there, it looks worse than it did before. (laughs) So one thing that can communicate... Real love toward the parents would be if the child would at least halfway pay attention to what the parents tell. Amen? Apply that to the marriage relationship for a spouse. You you can say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. But if you're not demonstrating that you love them by your actions, all the words in the world kind of lose its impact. So for your wife or for your husband... (laughs) More than just saying, I love you, you need to demonstrate that you love them by the way you respond, by what you do. Well, what about employment? Now, some of you are going to push back real quick. Well, I don't love my boss. (laughs) But in the employment arena... If your boss tells you, this is what's expected, this is what I want you to do, and you kind of display an attitude of, well, I don't like you, so I'm not going to listen to what you want me to do, and I'm not going to do what you want me to do. What does that communicate to the boss? Uh, I hope you understand where I'm going with this. (laughs) How in the world does it make Jesus feel when we say, I love you, I love you, I love you? Some of you might have felt like a minute ago in worship. I think John kind of alluded to that. Maybe in the prayer, I picked up on some of it. The reason I say I picked up on some of it, I'm going to have to go get hearing aids one of these days before long and everything. But uh, guys, your worship of God is not just when you stand here and sing. It includes the way you live your life. It includes the way you respond to Him. So just like a parent might think, well, does my child really love me? They never listen to me. Or a spouse might think, does my spouse really love me? Because the way they act doesn't tend to convince me that they love me or or maybe a boss or whatever. How how in the world does it make Jesus feel, the one who loved us enough to die for us on the cross, when we say, I love you, but then we live our life in a way that looks like we could care less what he tells us? That's why obedience is important. God's obedience is displaying affection for him. Our our obedience isn't so that we can be saved, but it's because we are saved. Look at what John 15, verse 9 through 12 says. Jesus is speaking again. And he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Think about that. (laughs) The way God the Father loves God the Son, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, I've loved you that way. And he loves us that way. Then he says, now remain in my love. Notice what he says in verse 10. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. In other words, if you're being disobedient, you're stepping outside the realm of what real love is. Toward Jesus. Just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So in those verses, Jesus says that he loves us like a father loved him. And he tells us remaining or abiding in his love involves obedience. So we need to obey his commands. And by doing so, Jesus is saying he will give us his joy. We'll experience more of his joy. Through obedience, we can have a more complete joy is what Jesus is saying. Now, guys, that's really, really practical. Think about it like this. If you are authentically a Christian and you go about rebelling against Jesus, not applying his word to your life, thinking it doesn't matter, instead of having joy in your life, you want to know what you're going to experience? You're going to be robbed of joy because you're going to be filled with guilt if you're really, really a child of God. And you'll be guilty over the things you've done that you shouldn't have done. On the other hand, as a believer, if we apply his word, if we're listening to his word, do you wonder what the result of that is? I can tell you from firsthand experience because I've done it both ways. I've had joy robbed of my life because of my disobedience. but You know what happens whenever I obey him? I have his joy in me. My my joy is more complete than I'm experiencing if I will obey his word. Obedience displays our affection, but obedience also requires this. The type of obedience we're talking about requires actions. Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And the word he uses there means Something that's authoritative. It means what he says he means. It's a command. It's a precept. The root word is built on means to enjoin or give a charge to in a fixed position so you are set out for the destination he wants in your life. That, that's why he wants us to keep his commandments. He has his best in mind for our lives. He has his goal in mind for our lives. He has his will in mind for our lives. And as we keep his commandments, that's putting us in the direction of what he wants us to experience. Of what he wants our lives to, to be about. Now, you know, guys, apart from any word study, a command is what? A command is something you're supposed to do. Now, if you've ever been in the military, you understand that up front. Amen? Well, when they told you to do something, they meant for you to do it, didn't they? And if you didn't do it, it didn't work out too good, did it? Others of you that have been in the military understand that. A command is something that you are supposed to do. Not just talk about it, not just know it, but it's something that you are supposed to do. Obedience requires action on our part. Let me illustrate that by by looking at what Jesus says in, in John 28, verse 18. And then we're going to read the rest of what we call the Great Commission. But Jesus came and said to them, talking to his disciples, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So how much authority does Jesus have? All authority. Then he goes on. And he says, go therefore. Now, the word therefore points back to authority. (laughs) Because he has all authority. He has the right, the total authority to tell us, go therefore. And make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he gives us a command. He expects us to do it. He says, I have all authority. He wants us to make disciples. He wants us to baptize them. He wants us to teach them, help them mature. And then he tells us this, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In other words, you can't do it because I'm with you to help you do it. Now that's a command. So that's a command. Can I meddle a little bit? How many of you have ever shared the gospel with one person? How many of you have ever won somebody to Jesus? And then after winning them, how many of you have ever discipled a person to help them grow to be more like Jesus, to help them grow in the direction that Jesus wants them to grow in their lives? Because if you can't say you've done it, then you're disobeying the command that Jesus gave. You know, I say, well, it was to his disciples. Well, that's what you're supposed to be if you know him as a Savior. You're supposed to be a disciple. You're supposed to be a follower. You're supposed to be obeying this thing that Jesus talks about. Jesus, who has all authority, tells us to obey his words. He tells us to fulfill the Great Commission. Guys, this is just one commandment. I'm just using this for an illustration. Jesus said, by doing so, we are demonstrating our love for Him. If we love Him, we are to keep His commandments. Jesus, who is all authority, has given us a mission, and we call it the Great Commission. And He says that we're to do this. It's something we're to do, not just know about, not just talk about it. We're to go and make disciples. Now, uh, most of you probably know this and heard it before. If you've been around here very long, you've heard it before. The word "go" is in a tense that means this. It means as you are going. As you are living your life, be making disciples. It's fine for our church to have something like an outflow event we've done before, and we plan to do more of those. But you want to know what the purpose, the original purpose of us doing the outflow events where we have some of you to go and give quarters away at the laundromat or do a gas buy-down for some stranger that you didn't know. No, we were providing the funds for it and everything. But you know what the, the purpose of that was? For you to grab hold of that and understand you can do that all the time. We don't have to plan an event for you to be going forth and as you are going, try and impact somebody else's life for Jesus. We don't have to have a visitation night for that to happen. It's supposed to be part of our spiritual DNA. It's supposed to be something that we do all the time, that we teach others to do, and we reproduce in our lives to make disciples. In the Greek... There's something called the imperative tense. That's what a command is. In the Great Commission, Jesus uses the imperative tense. Imperative means what? <laughs> imperative doesn't sound optional, does it? Imperative means it's something that you do. And there are all kinds of imperative commands that Jesus gave. Matter of fact, there's over 300 commands that Jesus gave in the imperative tense. And that means it's something that he wants us not just to know about, not just to talk about, but it's something he wants us to practice. It's something that he wants us to do. I've not said a lot about what that sign-up form means that we ask you to be signing up Uh, over the last few weeks, and we're still going to have it available, and it's available online where you can sign up. But what we're doing is asking, I know it says discipleship. Uh, Some people, you know, maybe they don't understand the connotation of that. You know what discipleship is? You becoming your best for Christ. And what we're wanting to do is help you become your best so you can turn around and reproduce that and help others become their best. That's why this training that we're going to be offering is about. You might be thinking, well, I signed up the form. No one's called me. We will call you. We're putting it together. We're going to get as many names as we can so we can divide it up and have people leading. And, guys, it's going to be in like a group of three or four people because some of them might say, well, we already have small groups. you realize in a small group of 10 to 15 to 20 people, a person can sit there and hide out and not answer a single question? If you're sitting at a table with two or three other people and you're discussing discipleship things, it kind of puts a pressure on you to be engaged, doesn't it? And we're going to use something that one of our church members, Chuck Campbell, who's the strategist for the State Baptist Convention here, God led him to develop years ago called G3 Discipleship. It represents giving up, giving in, and giving out, and then reproducing that. God wants every one of us to give up, He wants us to surrender to him. He wants us to be willing to sacrifice for him. He he wants every one of us to give in. (laughs) We we quit fighting against him whatsoever. We're we're giving in. We're obeying him. We're, We're applying these commands to our life and helping others. He wants every one of us to give out, to impact people around us. They impact our friends, our family members, our co-workers, the lost world. He wants us to impact them. And not it's not a one and done thing. It's not something that you will do and say, I'm going to check that off. I've done that. I went through the discipleship class. No, it, it, it's a thing hopefully to help you develop a pattern in your life to where you are a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who make disciples for the rest of your life. That's the goal of it. As you are going to be making disciples. Let me close by... By the way, you're not going to study all 300 imperatives. You're going to study about 50 of them. Thought I'd take that out of the scenario before you got worried about that. Let me me close by just covering three important things about obedience. Obedience is important to God. Obedience is important to God. There's a story in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel. God had told King Saul to go in and defeat this heathen king, and he told him not to keep anything, not to keep any of the booty, but to, you know, not to keep any of the animals or anything at all. But but Saul thought, well, I'm going to keep the best of the animals and then I will sacrifice it for God. Problem is, that's not what God told him to do. Listen to what happened. So Samuel said, He's talking to Saul. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed in the fat of rams. And then look at verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness, in the New American Standard translates the word stubbornness as insubordination, and in stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And then he looks at King Saul and says, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you from being king. If you want to see how important obedience is to God, he says disobedience is like you have practiced witchcraft as far as he's concerned. I I know a lot of you pretty well. I can't imagine any of you would intentionally go out this week and say, I'm going to practice witchcraft. But if you're disobeying him, God looks at it as though it's that. Loving God involves keeping his commandments. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 through 6. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Look at that part of it, because you know what a lot of people do? When it's a commandment that God's given you, oh, that's so tough, that's so hard, that's a burden. I I, I just don't like it. I can't do it. It says it's not burdensome. And he'll explain why here in just a moment. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. That's what God is trying to help you do through his commandments, to live the way he wants you to, to overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Loving God requires obedience, not so you can be saved, but because you're saved. He he wants us to live in obedience to him. He wants us to respond to his words. And guys, his commandments are not anything to be a burdensome to us because his commandments are this. They're always, always, always. Remember who gave it, God? His commandments are always for our best. Always for our good and always for his glory. It's not anything to be a burden or anything that's negative. Obeying the word of God helps us overcome the things of the world like temptation and wrong influences. And we can have victory over the world through our faith in Jesus. And your faith in Jesus includes this. It includes obedience to his words. Think about that. If you're saying you have faith in Jesus and you believe who Jesus says that he is and what he's done for you, that also means this. You believe he knows what he's talking about. You believe that what Jesus says is always right. What Jesus says is always best for you. One last thing. Peter has said he loved Jesus more than the rest of the disciples. you remember that happening in the New Testament? Jesus told the disciples that they were going to scatter, they were going to deny him and everything, and Peter comes up and he said, I don't care what the rest of these do. I'm never going to do that. I love you more than the rest of these. And yet he denied him three times. Let's pick up on Jesus restoring Peter in John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, put yourself in the environment for a moment. Peter had denied Jesus three times after he said he wouldn't. They're having breakfast. It seems like it's silent on the beach. You know what's probably running through Peter's mind? (sighs) I denied him. I denied him. I denied him. And then Jesus breaks the silence. (laughs) And he says, Peter, do you really love me more than the rest of these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He, Jesus said to him, to Peter, feed my sheep. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, why? Because he had denied him three times, so he gives him three chances for repentance and restoration. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, because it reminded him of what he had done, denied him three times. He was grieved that Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I want you to notice something. Three times Jesus said, you love me. And three times Jesus more or less is saying, if you really love me, do this for me. If you love me, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Our love for Jesus must include our obedience to his words. In obedience requires actions. God's best for your life ought to be motivated by your love for Jesus. But God's best for your life also ought to be manifested, put on display by your obedience to Jesus. That's what he calls us to do. That's what the Bible calls us to do. I alluded to the context of the of the scripture just a minute ago, and the context was in, in John 14, Jesus was telling them that he was going away and uh, everything, they were really sad. And Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, Let not your heart be troubled. He said, Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he said, In my father's house are many mansions or many rooms. I've gone to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself where I am there, you can be. Uh, Guys, I think that's going to happen one of these days before long, the way things are going. And then Thomas said, well, you know, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the, the way? And Jesus made it pretty clear. Jesus said, I am the way. By the way, the word thee in the Greek, there has more emphasis than our English word thee because the word "the" there means I'm exclusively the way. I'm exclusively the life. I'm exclusively the truth. And then he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So this morning as we get ready to close this service with a thing we call an invitation, do you know for sure? that Christ is your Savior. You might have a lot of troubles in your life that's invading your life right now. Well, as Jesus told those other disciples, let not your heart be troubled. He can speak peace to your life. If you know him as your personal Savior, he's gone preparing a place for you right now. And in his absence, he wants us to be doing what he's told us to do. And he is going to come and receive us back to himself. So today during this invitation, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, why not get that taken care of today by admitting you can't save yourself, by trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross? He's the way, the truth, the life. Nobody, nobody, includes you, nobody can come to the Father except through him. And then if you already know he's your Savior, but maybe this morning you would have to admit, I've probably not been showing that I love him like I ought to. I've not been demonstrated, I've not been manifested in my love to him. Why, why not talk to him about that and say, God, I'm sorry. Help me to be more obedient to you. Let's pray. Father, I, I want to begin just by thanking you and praising you that you loved us enough to send your son to die on the cross. I thank you that you made it such a clear plan, that your plan is the only way, that Jesus is the only way. And Father, if there's anyone here that's not trusted Christ as Savior, right now, I pray you draw them to yourself. You give them the faith they need to believe that Jesus did everything necessary on the cross to fully pay for their sin, to open a door to heaven, to open a door to a relationship with you, our holy God. Father, there's someone here that needs that this morning. They need to trust Christ. I pray you give them the faith they need right now. Father, I pray for the rest of us. I pray, Lord, we'll do more than just say we love you. Jesus, I pray more than, that we will love you with more than just words. I pray that we've clearly heard this morning that you said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Father, help us to do that, to glorify you. Help us to guard your word from loss in our lives. or help us to serve you and do the things you've told us to. The commands that you've told us to do. To honor you. In appreciation for the salvation that you've given us. For it's in Christ's name we pray amen please stand God speaks to you and invite you to come
0: are you in need of greater peace in your life it is possible and it starts with being at peace with God just pray something like this Lord Jesus I realize I need you and your forgiveness I invite you to be the boss of my life thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you. We're here to pray with you, to love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day 3 We care about you and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstances and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.